On today's episode, I'll be covering the next movie in my series on the DC Extended Universe, Suicide Squad, from Alright everyone, welcome to Brandon at Random Reviews. I am your host, Brandon Griffiths. Thank you for stopping by, I do appreciate it. Today on the show, like I said, we've got one movie to talk about, but first I wanted to talk about Batman villains and their portrayal in film, not TV, just movies, and I want to talk first about those characters that we've seen portrayed several times over in different movies by different actors and things like that. So that list can obviously only start with the Joker. And he was originally played by Cesar Romero in the 1966 film Batman, which was spawned from the TV series starring Adam West. And honestly, his portrayal of the character was really over the top, deliberately so. He had a good portrayal for that purpose, but overall just... A little too much for me to deal with all the time. I, I can't say that he's like one of my favorites or anything like that. Then we have Jack Nicholson, who played the Joker in the 1989 film Batman, directed by Tim Burton and starring Michael Keaton. His portrayal, I really actually like his portrayal of the Joker. I don't know that it stood the test of time super well, but I really loved what they did with him and how Nicholson played him. I thought it was really good. And I also thought that he had a very Joker plot in that movie and it wasn't too bogged down and it didn't have too many things going on in it. It was pretty simplistic and it was just very Joker-ish. Then next up, we got Heath Ledger in 2008's The Dark Knight and his portrayal of the Joker is notorious. It is considered one of the best ever, if not the best by a lot of people. He did a really great job with the role and it was basically like he really managed to capture the insanity just the craziness as well as he did really good with the humor I thought I thought his his sense of humor was really appropriate to the character and it it really turned out very well and obviously he was well regarded and unfortunately it ultimately caused Heath Ledger's death because he got so immersed in the role that he just couldn't fucking handle it anymore. It was just, it's really too bad. Then next up, we have Jared Leto from 2016's Suicide Squad. And I'll talk about Jared Leto's portrayal during this review. I won't waste time talking about him now. I'll talk about him during the movie discussion. Joaquin Phoenix played the character in Joker. And that movie was a solid movie, but what I didn't like about it, I, aside, you know, his portrayal was amazing. He did a really good job. He's a great actor. But I didn't like the fact that the movie didn't have any connection to any other universe. And it just, it didn't really appease me from that standpoint. It just kind of felt like it was pointless. But I, I enjoyed it nonetheless. I've heard that they're coming out with a sequel that's supposed to be a musical. And I'm not a fan of that. I'll probably see it at some point, but I can't get excited about a musical 
comic book movie at all. And then last but not least, we have Barry Keegan, who had a very brief role in The Batman from 2022, and he was also featured in a deleted scene in that movie where he got a much bigger, higher profile exposure on screen, and he was basically just talking to Batman at this visitation thing in Arkham or wherever it's supposed to be, and I thought I thought he was he had promise. I, I think they went a little over the top with his makeup, but that could just be me. I get that he was supposed to be unpleasant to look at, but it was kind of like, holy shit, this is a bit much. Then next up, we have Catwoman, who was played by Lee Merriweather in that 1966 Batman movie, and I loved her. She was actually just a one-shot. She didn't come from the TV show. She was cast, I don't know if Julie Newmar was just busy or something like that, but ultimately Lee Merriweather was cast, and I thought she did a great job as Catwoman, and she fit within that universe. Michelle Pfeiffer played the character in 1992's Batman Returns, previously covered on this podcast. That one, I thought she had a great performance, I'll say, but she did not have good writing. The character is written very poorly. I didn't care for it. I really would have liked to have seen them go in a different direction there, but they didn't, so it kind of suffered because of it. Then we have Halle Berry, who was in 2004's Catwoman, and that movie, what can I honestly say about this movie that hasn't already been said? It's fucking terrible. Halle Berry said it herself that she thought it was terrible, and she couldn't believe that her agent actually convinced her to take the role and I mean all this stuff it was just awful it was supposed to be originally that movie was going to be a spin-off of Michelle Pfeiffer's version of the character from Batman Returns but unfortunately that never really happened because Michelle Pfeiffer got pregnant and different things like that things that just bogged down her ability to portray the character again then in 2012's The Dark Knight Rises We got Anne Hathaway as Selina Kyle, and they didn't actually refer to her as Catwoman in the movie, but that was who she was. It was just kind of a Christopher Nolan thing, kind of grounding those movies in reality more. It just made more sense to have her be Selina Kyle, but also be a cat burglar that sometimes wears an outfit that looks like she's Catwoman. But she did really good in that movie. I thought she had a great performance in it, and I thought it was really well written. I thought it really worked, honestly. I I was really happy with what she did with the character. And then we have Zoe Kravitz, who played Catwoman in The Batman from 2022. I thought she was okay, but it's funny. I didn't really think about it while I was watching the movie the first time I saw it, but when I was talking to my friend about it that I saw the movie with, he pointed out that it was kind of like, you could have just written her right out of that movie and just cut down the runtime significantly as it needed to be. And it just, I thought that kind of felt like she needed to have a bigger part in the plot. She was just kind of secondary. I felt like they kept including her and stuff, but it was like they just seemingly forced her character to have a part in these things that she didn't really need to have a part in. Then we move on to the Riddler, who was portrayed by Frank Gorshin in that 1966 movie. Same story with him, fit the universe. He was a little too laugh happy, in my opinion, but. I guess that was just what they were looking for. And then in 1995's Batman Forever, Jim Carrey played the Riddler, and I fucking hated his portrayal of the Riddler. I thought that it was way too over the top, but it was Jim Carrey, to be fair. So it's like, 
what was I honestly expecting? I didn't like it. I didn't think it fit super well. And it just, it really irks me to think about Batman Forever too much. So I'll move on. Then Paul Dano played the Riddler, actually Enigma in the Batman from 2022. And that was a solid portrayal. It was a, like a, basically an S&M style costume design for him. And he was a lot more evil and serious all the time. And I I liked that character. I liked the way they did him in that movie. It was very well done, honestly. And then we move on to Two-Face, who was played by Tommy Lee Jones in 1995's Batman Forever. Tommy Lee Jones was wasted in that movie. He could have been such a good Harvey Dent slash Two-Face, but they just made him like ready to laugh about everything. And anybody that knows anything about that character knows he doesn't fucking laugh at a bunch of shit. You know what I mean? He doesn't do that. It's just not his style. He's very serious all the time, and it didn't really work. And I blame the writers, and I blame the director, honestly. That's what I'll say. And then in 2008, The Dark Knight featured Aaron Eckhart as Harvey Dent slash Two-Face, and I thought that that portrayal and all the writing for that character was stupendous. It was very well done. You got to kind of see his descent into madness. It was well concocted. I liked it a lot. The Penguin was portrayed by Burgess Meredith in the 1966 film. And honestly, same fucking story. I mean, he was going wah, wah, wah whenever he'd talk or do anything. And it was kind of stupid. But again, it fit the movie. So I'm glad I'm through all of those villains from that movie because it's basically the same story with all of them. Then we have Danny DeVito, who played the Penguin slash Oswald Cobblepot in Batman Returns from 1992, and his performance was really good, but his costume design and overall just look and his behavior and everything, I thought he, Danny DeVito is a great actor, but it's just this role did not suit his talent. They made him do things that he shouldn't have had to be doing. And then Colin Farrell played Oswald Cobblepot in The Batman from 2022, and he was more of a minor character, and they were talking about making like a spinoff series about him, and I don't really know about all these spinoff series that they're talking about, especially now that James Gunn has taken over DC. I don't know that they're going to last. I doubt they'll make it by the chopping block, so. But I thought Colin Farrell's costume design and makeup was amazing, And I thought he played the character really well. You couldn't even tell it was Colin Farrell, honestly. It was fucking amazing. And last but not least, for the more commonly covered ones, Bane was portrayed by Jeep Swenson in the 1997 film Batman and Robin. And that character, that whole thing with him was just a fucking joke. I mean, honestly, I fucking hated it. I thought it was so stupid. All he would do is grunt out things to say, and he never had many lines or anything like that, and that is so not the character that Bane is. And now I'd like to move on just really quick to the Batman villains that I'd like to see done in film or at least done better. So these are ones that were only portrayed once on screen or they've never been portrayed on screen. So starting with Mr. Freeze, who is portrayed by Arnold Schwarzenegger in Batman and Robin, He did a terrible job. He had terrible writing. The costume design was a fucking joke. The whole basis for the character was lost in his portrayal. They didn't do a good job with that. 
I go back time and time again to Batman the Animated Series, and I just think this should be the model that you use when you come out with these characters. This should be your basis. This is what you have to work from, because they did it better with Batman the Animated Series than they did in any other portrayals of these characters, in my opinion. I would love to see a lot of different actors. I won't bog you down with a whole bunch of discussion about what actors I'd like to see. I would just like to see Mr. Freeze done right on screen. Poison Ivy was portrayed by Uma Thurman in that same Batman and Robin movie, and her voice and just overall way of acting was terrible. I don't think Uma Thurman did a good job there, and I generally don't dislike Uma Thurman. It's just... I don't know what happened there. I I have to assume writing had something to do with it. And I'd love to see somebody, because Poison Ivy, and they did this in Batman and Robin, but she tends to be manipulative, and she uses her looks to control people and things like that. I'd love to see that actually done better, but for Batman and Robin, it was just not well done at all. And then there's Raish al Ghul, a.k.a. Raz al Ghul, And he was portrayed by Liam Neeson in Batman Begins from 2005. And I'd like to just see a more true to the comic book character version or the animated series version of that character. Because I thought that I liked that character better than the Batman Begins one. But I thought Liam Neeson did a good job with the role, you know, the the way he was written. He acted the way you would expect him to act in that situation. And then there's Talia Al Ghul, who is portrayed by Marion Cotillard. I think that's how you pronounce her last name. And she did a good job, but honestly, this is going to sound shallow. As as good looking as, as she is, I would have liked to have seen somebody better looking because Talia Al Ghul is typically speaking like one of the best looking comic book characters there is. And I don't feel like they did her justice with Marion Cotillard. So... There's that, I mean. But some of the other ones I'd like to see would be like Hugo Strange. Hugo Strange is a scientist that knows Batman's true identity or at least finds it out. Clayface is a shape-shifting monster that can disguise himself as anybody and sound like them and look like them and everything. Man-Bat is this creature that a scientist makes himself into, basically. Honestly, I fucking love the idea of that character and I would love to see this giant man bat just come and take on Batman and I think it'd be really fucking awesome. Then there's the Mad Hatter who has been portrayed in Alice in Wonderland movies but we've never really seen him and he's a really cool character in the Batman stories. He's he's big on mind control and he does all sorts of different stuff like that. It's very awesome. Killer Croc was portrayed in 2016's Suicide Squad, and I'll talk about him in a little bit, and I can't honestly pronounce the actor's name that plays him, but I think that it could be done better very easily. Red Claw is a terrorist that would be a cool secondary villain in a movie. I think it would be cool to see a female terrorist. We don't see that ever in any situation most of the time. We've seen female villains, but terrorists, it's different. And I would obviously always like to see the Phantasm because Batman Mask of the Phantasm is technically a film, but I didn't count it in this list because honestly, it wouldn't have been fair. I was only going for live action stuff. So I really 
really love Batman Mask the Phantasm, and I think it would be cool to see that one adapted for a live-action version, and I, I just, I would love it. So I guess we'll just dive into our movie Suicide Squad, released on August 5th, 2016, based on DC Comics characters and stories, not to be confused with the film's sequel, The Suicide Squad, from 2021. This was written and directed by David Iyer, and he wrote Training Day, and that movie was pretty solid, albeit it was pretty fucking ridiculous, but it was very well done. The performances are really good in the movie. Denzel Washington's character is this aggressive maniac detective, and he's just at people's throats all the time, and he's corrupt. But I I honestly really like Training Day. I haven't seen it in some time, so maybe if I went back and watched, it wouldn't be quite as good. He also wrote The Fast and the Furious, the original from 2001, and honestly, I do enjoy that movie, even though the entire franchise has basically devolved into something completely over the top and ridiculous. I really fucking like that movie, that original one. I I think it's good. It's a little silly, but it's it's not bad. And then he directed and wrote End of Watch, which is a movie that I believe stars Jake Gyllenhaal and maybe Michael Pena. It's a very cool movie. It's about cops and it's very grounded in reality and it's made to look like an episode of Cops, kinda. It's very well executed, and I I thought the story was solid, and it was very gripping in a lot of scenes, and it was I, I really liked what they did with it. For the producers, we have Charles Roven and Richard Suckle. Charles Roven produced the Dark Knight trilogy, previously covered on this podcast. Man of Steel, which is the movie that kicked off the DC Extended Universe. And then there's Wonder Woman, so he basically produced mostly superhero movies. Wonder Woman was good. I think it has kind of a forgettable plot. It didn't really break any new ground. It was just everybody regarded it so highly because it was the first one that DC had done that kind of felt more like it was in the vein of Marvel movies, and people tend to like that more, I think. And last but not least, he did... Justice League from 2017, and we all know, you know, what happened with that. They kind of came out with a unpleasant final product for what they were trying to do when Zack Snyder departed the production of the movie. It, it didn't turn out good, and they ended up coming out with a Zack Snyder cut that was much better. Richard Suckle, who has the most unfortunate name, I mean, honestly, his name is Dick Suckle, Come the fuck on. Is this a joke? Change your fucking name. Honestly, that's what I would do. So the only one that I saw on his list of any note that I wanted to talk about was a movie called RoboCop Returns, and it's a to-be-announced release date, and I'm very interested to see what they do and see if maybe they get Peter Weller back. That would be fucking awesome. I don't know how well it'll work, but it'd be pretty awesome to watch. For the score, we have composer Stephen Price, who... Also did the movie Gravity, which is a solid movie. I think it was a little overrated in its time of release. I don't think it's quite that good, but it's pretty solid. And he also did Baby Driver, which is a very watchable Edgar Wright movie. There's a lot of cool chase sequences, and there's a lot of really cool action in it. I really liked it, and it has a a great soundtrack. And that's what's important to note with Suicide Squad is it's all about the soundtrack. The score is very, very secondary in this movie. It's not 
at all about the score, even a little bit. For the cast, we have Will Smith, who plays Floyd Lawton slash Deadshot, and he was in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, the TV show. He also started out as a rapper before that, and he had such songs as Parents Just Don't Understand, and yeah, I mean, he was kind of a G-rated rapper, honestly. He was also in Ali, which I loved when I saw it. I haven't seen it ever since it came out in theaters, but I really liked Ali. It was a Michael Mann movie, I believe. It was really fucking well done, and it was very watchable to me, but my mom, like, her and I went and saw it, and she thought that it was god-fucking-awful and boring as shit, and I was like, oh, okay, all right, I guess. He was in Hitch, and that one is about a guy who coaches down-on-their-luck guys into doing better with women, basically, and eh, I don't think it's anything special. It's got him and Kevin James in it and a couple other people, but mostly to me, it was just nothing special at all. And he also did The Pursuit of Happiness, and that one is just, I think it's overrated by a lot of people. I think people act like it's this amazing movie, and it really, there isn't a ton of plot to it. There's just, it's a true story, so it's like, it's about this guy that's really down on his luck, and he's impoverished, and he's getting kicked out of his house or apartment, I mean, and just basically, he's in a really bad spot, but it's like, the movie wasn't really that inspirational to me, and it wasn't, I don't know, I don't I don't know that it needed to be a movie, but I that's my opinion. Then we have Jared Leto, who plays the Joker. He was in American Psycho, which is a very quotable horror-type movie. I don't know if I'd call it a horror comedy. I don't think that would be right, but it's very ridiculous, but it's very quotable. I mean, it's got a lot of great lines in it. He was in Requiem for a Dream, which is a movie that I've seen all the way through once, and I covered it on my blog, and I don't need to watch it ever again, despite liking it. It was just not my kind of movie, generally speaking. He was in Dallas Buyers Club, and that one had Matthew McConaughey in it, and that was a solid movie. I mean, it was pretty depressing, but it was a solid movie. And he was also in Blade Runner 2049 with Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford. And I don't really remember that movie very well. I need to rewatch it because I want to say it was good, but I can't honestly remember. I know Ana de Armas is in it, and she's enough to make me want to watch any fucking movie out there, honestly. Then we have Margot Robbie, who I have noted here is hot, and she plays Dr. Harlene Quinzel slash Harley Quinn. She was in About Time, previously covered on this podcast, and I loved that movie. I thought it was fucking great. Honestly, one of my all-time favorite romantic comedies. And then she was in The Wolf of Wall Street, and she gets super naked in that movie, and it is immaculate. And she's in that with Leonardo DiCaprio and Jonah Hill, and it was directed by Martin Scorsese, and that was, I think, the first movie that I actually ever saw her in, or no, no, it wasn't, because I saw About Time in theaters, and I saw The Wolf of Wall Street, which came out after it in theaters, so, but it was really her showcased role that made that movie for me, like, if she would not have been in that movie, I don't know that I could have fucking watched it, it was just, there was too much shit that I was just like, oh, this is fucking stupid. She was in I, Tanya about Tanya Harding, the figure skater who was banished from figure skating for basically 
setting the wheels in motion to have one of her rival's legs, like, destroyed, basically, like, so she couldn't skate. And, yeah, it's a, I love that movie. I love the kind of movie it is. It's a biographical film, but it is also, like, it's made to be humorous, too, and I really like the way they do it. It's very solid. She was also in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I need to rewatch that one because the first time I watched it, I thought it was decent, but I didn't think it was like, it didn't floor me or anything. It, it was just okay. Then we have Joel Kinnaman, who plays Rick Flagg. He was in a show called Altered Carbon, and I watched one episode of that at the suggestion of my friend Lance, and I don't like, I'm not a Joel Kinnaman fan at all, so it's like, when I found out that the guy was in it, because Lance didn't tell me that he was going to be in it, it was like, as soon as I realized, I'm like, oh God, it's fucking him, Jesus Christ. And so it was like, it ruined the fucking show for me. I'm sure it's a great show. I just fucking hate it. I don't like the guy. He was also in the RoboCop remake, and that movie was not good. It was, I, I love the original way too much to ever give that one a chance, honestly, but it was not well done, in my opinion. And he was also in The Suicide Squad, the sequel to Suicide Squad. And honestly, that one, I might cover it on this podcast at some point. I don't, it's one of those ones that I felt so strongly about when I watched it that it's like, I don't know if I'd want to put myself through re-watching it ever again. Next up is Jai Courtney, and he plays Digger Harkness slash Captain Boomerang. He was in Terminator Genesis. That movie... Not so good. I saw it in theaters. Not very good at all. He was in A Good Day to Die Hard as John McClane's son. I didn't like A Good Day to Die Hard. It was the only Die Hard movie that I really didn't like at all. And I thought it was just stupid. It was just dumb. And for some reason, I keep confusing Jai Courtney with Aaron Taylor Johnson. And I don't really know why that is. Like, I was thinking Jai Courtney was the guy from 2014's Godzilla. Nope, not him. Fucking Aaron Taylor Johnson. Aaron Taylor Johnson is vastly superior to Jai Courtney, by the way. Then we have Cara Delevingne, who I have noted here is also hot. She plays Dr. June Moon slash Enchantress. She is a model, and she was in the movie Anna Karenina. Never seen that one, probably never will not really a movie that I expect to be my cup of tea. She was also in Valyrian in the City of a Thousand Planets, and that one had Dane DeHaan and Clive Owen and a few others in it, and I watched it because they covered it on How Did This Get Made. So if that tells you enough, I mean, How Did This Get Made is a podcast about bad movies exclusively, so it didn't really turn out very well. It was pretty fucking bad. Last but not least, we have Viola Davis, who plays Amanda Waller. She was in It's Kind of a Funny Story, which is a movie I really enjoy. It's about a kid who's very troubled, and he goes and checks into a psych ward, and then it's kind of like he immediately regrets it because he realizes he's like losing a lot of his freedom. It's a really good story. It's a really well-made movie, in my opinion, and it's got Emma Roberts in it and Zach Galifianakis. Really like that one. She was also in Eat, Pray, Love, which is one that I have zero desire to see, and it's got Julia Roberts and a couple other people. I don't really, I don't know that that movie's for me. It doesn't seem like it would be. She was also in The Help, another one that I probably won't ever see, 
and extremely loud and incredibly close. And do I need to see extremely loud and incredibly close? Because I've heard of this movie a lot, but I don't really know anything about it. And I'm worried that it might suck. So there's that. For casting notes in this movie, we have Tom Hardy and Jake Gyllenhaal were offered the role of Rick Flagg in the film. Hardy had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts, and Gyllenhaal declined to replace him. The role ultimately went to Joel Kinnaman. Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Daniel Craig, Matthew McConaughey, Johnny Depp, Colin Farrell, Keanu Reeves, Oscar Isaac, Jason Statham, Idris Elba, Matt Damon, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Alexander Skarsgård, Ewan McGregor, Robert Pattinson, Michael Fassbender, Joel Kinnaman, and John Hamm were considered for the role of Deadshot before it went to Will Smith. Among those considered for the role of Amanda Waller were Carrie Washington, Octavia Spencer, and Oprah Winfrey before it went to Viola Davis. Ryan Gosling was originally approached to play the Joker, but turned it down because he didn't want to do a multi-picture deal. While reading the comic books in preparation to direct the film, David Iyer had Margot Robbie in mind for the role of Harley Quinn. However, Emma Roberts was offered the role by Warner Brothers, but she turned it down to star in Scream Queens from 2015. Olivia Thurlby, Imogen Poots, Alison Brie, Rooney Mara, Olivia Wilde, Amber Heard, Emma Watson, Emily Browning, Skylar Shea, Peyton List, Zoe Deschanel, Nicole Gale Anderson, Lily Collins, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Sarah Paxton, Natalia Ramos, Amanda Seyfried, and Evan Rachel Wood were also considered for the role of Harley Quinn before it went to Margot Robbie. Wow, that's a lot of fucking names. Blake Lively turned down the role of June Moon, aka Enchantress, due to scheduling conflicts with The Shallows from 2016. Brie Larson, Saoirse Ronan, who I absolutely fucking love, I think she's great, Megan Fox, Elliot Page, Kristen Ritter, Emma Stone, Alicia Vikander, Shailene Woodley, Amelia Clark, and Alexandra Daddario were all considered for the role before it ultimately went to Cara Delevingne. For a plot synopsis, we have a group of supervillains is assembled to take on a powerful sorceress in exchange for a time reduction off the end of their jail sentences. Yeah, that's a little oversimplified, but I had to go with something, so. For the taglines, we have one that is worst period heroes period ever period. The other one is justice has a bad side, and I think that they should have gone with that one personally, but that's just my opinion. All right, guys, let's dive into the fucking plot of this movie. So we start off and we hear House of the Rising Sun by the animals, and we watch these different criminals in prison And I'll spoil it right now, they turn out to be characters in this story, so just keep a lookout for that. They start out with Will Smith as Deadshot, and Deadshot has an interaction with a prison guard, Griggs, played by Ike Barinholtz. Deadshot threatens Griggs after receiving a questionable lunch, and then I guess Griggs and the other guards just go ahead and torture Deadshot for a while. Standard operating procedure, I guess. It just kind of seems like you'd probably know that was coming and not push your luck if you were Deadshot. I don't know. Then we get You Don't Own Me by Leslie Gore, and I won't do this throughout the entire movie with this music, but it's so aggressive and on display here that I have to include it. We see Harley Quinn, played by Margot Robbie. She's dangling from these aerial silk rope things in her cell because 
Prisons totally let you have stuff like that in your cell. Why wouldn't they? Also, Margot Robbie might be, for my money, the best-looking person out there by a mile, honestly. She was a great choice for Harley Quinn, regardless of my feelings on the movies that she's been featured in as the character. Griggs comes to her cell, and he clearly wants her, and I totally get it. She's very manipulative in the way she interacts with him. And he initially falls for it because he's a dumb fuck, it seems. She fucking licks one of the bars of her cell and then tries to get him to come in her cell. But he's not quite as dumb as he looks and he makes the call to shock her because I guess the bars are electrified. Then he tortures her a bunch and it's pretty rough footage, honestly. There's a lot of unpleasant torturing early on in this movie. We get Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones to introduce Amanda Waller, and she talks about how Superman changed the world both in life and in death. She meets with what I assume are some high-ranking government officials for dinner, and she tells them that she's found the worst of the worst criminals. I'm not entirely clear on what her job title would be or what kind of work she'd do outside of forming supervillain task forces. They tell Amanda that she's playing a dangerous game with these criminals, And I wonder if something similar to this has ever happened in the real world with criminals, if they've ever tried to, like, get them to do good. I'm sure I'm probably, like, forgetting a big example or something, but anyway, I was just kind of curious about that because it would be interesting. So the way they introduce these villains is not wholly terrible, honestly. It just feels like the graphics are really cheesy and they don't really need to be at all. To that point, I do think that the graphics, coupled with the ridiculous way they talk when they introduce characters, makes the whole thing kind of suck, unfortunately. The intros are just unnatural and poorly written. She talks about Deadshot, a.k.a. Floyd Lawton. Deadshot is a sharpshooter hitman, and his costume is pretty fucking sweet when he's wearing the mask. I can only assume that Will Smith's ego is what keeps the mask off most of the time in this movie, though. And it's like already early on, you know, this I'm not very deep into my notes. And I gotta say, I think it's the writing with this movie. That's what I don't like about it. I think it's just very bad writing. We see Deadshot about to kill someone and argue with the man who hired him about receiving payment. But like, why, if you're Deadshot, are you even getting ready to kill this person if your policy is that it doesn't happen without getting payment first. We find out that Deadshot's weakness is his daughter, so this outfit that Will Smith is wearing when talking to his daughter is legitimately ridiculous. It looks like what would happen if the clothing stores The Buckle and Eddie Bauer were asked to design a pimp suit together. That's the only way I can really put it. Ben Affleck's Batman shows up to apprehend Deadshot while he's with his daughter, And Batman kindly gives him the opportunity not to be humiliated in front of her, and he just kind of passes that chance up. Deadshot wants to kill Batman despite his daughter being there, and she stands in the way of him doing that, and Deadshot is ultimately arrested. The government official asks Waller where she put Deadshot, and she says the actual line, let's just say I put him in a hole and threw away the hole, which, by the way, doesn't make any sense, and... Doesn't sound particularly cool or badass at all. Just thought I'd mention that. But that's what this movie's all about, guys. Then, again, we get Harley Quinn and her backstory as a psychiatrist. She falls for her patient, the Joker, played by Jared Leto. This is not the first time or last time I'll say this, but I hate everything about Jared Leto's Joker. Don't like one little bit of it. The writing, the makeup, 
the costume design, the performance, it's all fucking disappointing. And I know Leto can do better than this. I know he's got it in him. So for example, he has the word damage tattooed on his forehead for fuck's sake. What the fuck are they thinking? What kind of Mickey Mouse choice was that? Honestly, I, I don't get it. Harley helps Joker break out of prison, and despite that, he still tortures her, and they become a criminal power couple of sorts. Joker meets with a gangster played by rapper Common, who points out what a slammin' hottie Harley is. Naturally, the Joker messes with him by having Harley get very friendly with him, and even though the whole time Common keeps saying, fucking no way, man, that's your lady, but Joker just keeps insisting, then the Joker shoots Common because he's just so crazy he can't help it. Also, there's a very brief chase scene where Batman pursues Joker and Harley in his Batmobile. Joker drives his car into a river and Batman has to save Harley and Joker is nowhere to be found whatsoever. When Batman goes to rescue Harley underwater, she pulls a knife on him and tries to attack him, but he's ultimately still able to save her. Then when he gets her on dry land, she's seemingly unconscious or has succumbed to drowning, and Batman goes to give her mouth to mouth and she almost immediately tries making out with him. The first time I saw this, I legitimately thought that Batman gave in to temptation and was just kissing her, since I've heard for quite a while now that mouth-to-mouth is not even normally used anymore for whatever reason, but I don't know how true that is. And I mean, I understood that initial inclination Batman would have had in that scenario, but that's one of those ones that you really can't act on, buddy. But I could see, you know, no matter how bad you really wanted to, because maybe it's your only real chance to do it. And then we get Captain Boomerang, played by Jai Courtney, who is a bank robber from Australia, who was captured by The Flash, played by noted alleged lunatic Ezra Miller. Captain Boomerang is one of the more underwhelming anti-heroes this movie has on display, which is really saying something because this movie has underwhelming anti-heroes in spades. Diablo is played by an actor I'm not familiar with named Jay Hernandez, and he's got metahuman abilities to create fire. He actually surrenders himself because I guess they couldn't think of a cool way to apprehend him. They can't all be winners, but seriously, we find out why later on when they get the Xbox achievement to unlock his tragic backstory, and it's pretty fucking sad what actually happened to him and why he turned himself in. Then we get Fortunate Son by CCR, and we see Killer Croc, and I just don't like what they did with this character at all, even a little bit. His dialogue in this movie is something I would describe as caricature-ish. More on that later, as the story progresses, of course. Suffice it to say that a CCR song was a choice I wouldn't have expected for him. Last on the list is Dr. June Moon, played by Cara Delevingne, who is an archaeologist who gets possessed by an evil sorceress named Enchantress. I mean, she's actually an Enchantress named Enchantress, but I digress. The government officials question Waller's ability to control these criminals since they're just so darn zany. She explains how she got Mr. Rick Flagg to watch Dr. June Moon and he fell in love with her, and now Waller is using the relationship to get him to do her bidding. You see, she wanted this relationship to happen because she's a terrible person, and she wanted to be able to manipulate him. All of these villains are set up in the first 20 minutes, and I'll be honest, at face value, it doesn't seem all that bad. You think, this could be a movie. But this is just the setup, and they actually have to write satisfying payoffs for each of these characters. And basically, that's where they always get you. Now we see Waller with a bunch of military bigwigs in a war room of sorts, like you always see in movies. One of the men monologues about what would happen if Superman were a deranged person and used his powers for evil. Like, if he just basically just 
decided to up and kill the president, what would society do about that? And the funny thing is, their answer to that question is one only an idiot would think of to be a good solution. Naturally, this talking point is to present what Waller calls Task Force X, the banding together of these super criminals to prevent something like that from happening. I do have a couple of questions before I go any further. Metahuman villains? Sure, I could see the appeal of using them and how they could be effective as a means to that end. But what are characters like Harley or even Captain Boomerang going to do when push comes to shove with these metahumans? They're not going to have the powers. Harley has no discernible talents that prove making her an asset to the team. She can't really do shit. She's not particularly good at anything. Deadshot at least has the sharpshooter skills. And I call them super criminals, but the Suicide Squad has a lot of lineup changes throughout the years, and they've always basically been like B-Squad secondary villains. Waller presents her team of villains, and one man says no way to this group of rogues. She says that they will operate covertly, and they will throw them under the bus if they fuck stuff up, which does seem like the right call to make regarding political liability. They tell Waller that she can't control these bad guys, and Waller asks Dr. Moon to come up. They really desexified Cara Delevingne for this role, but I have an unpopular opinion. So Moon transforms into Enchantress, and I've got to say, she looks so hot post-transformation, despite my instincts saying no because of how she's made up to look. I think she looks fucking terrific. Also, the actual transformation is legitimately well done, and I really enjoy it quite a bit. You see June's hand resting on the table in front of her where she's standing, and a dark hand wraps around hers as the evil being takes her body over. June is pretty upset when she transforms back and doesn't really want to do it again, and Waller just has Flag take her away. Waller doesn't really give a shit. It's important to understand with Amanda Waller that people are not people to her and are just pawns in her insidious games. So they approve this Task Force X. So Waller and Flag go to the prison, and they go to see the villains who are all apprehensive when they're approached. Griggs, the guard, makes a classically racist remark by telling Diablo to put his burrito down to talk to these people. We're to understand that Griggs is just not to be liked, basically. Diablo doesn't want any part of being used as a weapon, and I mean, it does seem like Diablo is the only one looking to better himself realistically here. He's very passive and doesn't seem to want to use his abilities. Then they have Deadshot do some target practice to prove his world-renowned skills. It almost seems like a bad idea to give a convict a gun, especially one who is particularly good at gun stuff. So naturally, he turns the gun on Griggs, and he tests the gun first to see if it has live rounds in it before he goes nuts shooting at targets. So about these songs in this movie, they have mostly not fit the scenes that they're in, Except for this one when Deadshot is doing his target practice, and I couldn't even figure out what the fuck the name of the song even was. It wasn't familiar at all. But by the way, I love when they pick lesser-known good songs and movies so I can put them in playlists and listen to them and just enjoy them because I'm always looking for new music to listen to. Deadshot proceeds to tell Flag his demands and how he wants them to take care of his daughter, he wants his daughter to go to the finest schools, and he makes it a point to say that he wants the daughter's mom to only have supervised visits and that her new boyfriend is not allowed. Flag argues with Waller about what a bad idea this is, and Joel Kinnaman was such a bad choice for Flag, honestly. 
they really needed a more likable, relatable guy. But I don't know if the part of a likable guy is really in Kinnaman's repertoire. I feel like making Flag relatable would have at least potentially helped the story somewhat. You need that person you can identify with in a movie as an audience member in most cases. I mean, some movies, obviously not, but... For the most part, you want that relatable character. A man comes to tell Joker where Harley is, and Joker decides to go get her. We get this fucking shot of Joker laying down in this giant circle of knives laid out on the floor, and he does this stupid fucking laugh. It's like they only had that be a thing in an attempt to get a cool shot, but it seems like total bullshit. Is the Joker really just calmly and meticulously collecting and laying out these fucking knives on the floor? Seriously? For what? Instagram photos? I don't fucking think so. There's a reason my very mention of Joker in this movie is dripping with disdain and it's shit like that scene. Griggs goes to meet some men and one of them was the guy who was just talking to Joker and then the Joker shows up and he does a lot of snarling and growling and tells Griggs that they're going to be friends, which is very sweet of him. But to my knowledge, unless he killed Griggs and I missed it, this whole Griggs storyline goes absolutely nowhere. But it is possible that maybe that was how later in the movie they were able to do some of the things, like Joker was able to hack into things and stuff. I don't know. Anyway, we get Flag and Moon in a hotel or something, and she just turns into the Enchantress, I guess her just fucking whispering the word Enchantress is all it takes and she's just there and ready to roll. Flag has a vision of June lying in a hospital bed and they're trying to revive her, but I can't help but not care about this relationship because I haven't felt any connection to these characters given their brief time on screen. It seems like Enchantress has taken over and goes and steals a statuette she calls Brother from Waller's room. So she frees her brother. Apparently the statue is some kind of cursed tomb he had to live in. She tells him her plan to create a machine because she says people worship machines in this day and age, even though what she actually creates doesn't really seem like a machine at all. June comes back and tells Flag to stop Enchantress even if he has to kill June, and that seems like some very subtle foreshadowing. It's almost like Rick Flag is going to have to face that decision later on. The guy who we're to believe is Enchantress's brother fakes passing out at a subway stop, and then he turns into a spooky creature. All this electricity is going on and he destroys one of the oncoming trains. This brother character is easily more powerful and dangerous than all but one of the villains we've met so far. The government decides to initiate Task Force X and I just hope at some point later someone unpoetically and clumsily gives their group a fun nickname and acts like it's a term that's just commonly used. They show the guards going to get the villains out of their cells, and they implant their necks with these explosive devices to use to blow them up if they get out of line. Joker shows up at the prison and uses an exploding gift basket to get past security at a guard shack, and I've got to hand it to him, an exploding gift basket is probably one of the more truly Jokerish things I've seen in any movies where he's featured. So I will begrudgingly give kudos to the 2016 film Suicide Squad for that and that alone. A SWAT team appears to be trying to attack Enchantress's brother and losing. The whole time Waller has had Enchantress's heart as leverage over her and she can just stab it and bring June back. But for reasons I can't explain, that's not a thing anymore at this point, I guess. 
Like, why does that stop working? What what happens there? I missed it. I don't know what the fuck is going on. I feel like a movie that had sound storytelling wouldn't have left me scratching my head like that. What can you do? Like, this movie's soundtrack just sounds like one of my playlists on shuffle with one unfitting song after another to go with each scene. They're playing Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes as they're gearing the team up for battle, And I don't think it's conveying the tone that it should be at all. But that was always a dream job of mine. To just pick the songs to put in the movie soundtrack and edit them in and give every scene a nice vibe. They're all in what I assume is a prison courtyard or something. And Harley out of nowhere says, What? I should kill everyone and escape? Oh, sorry. The voices. I'm kidding. Jeez. That's not what they really said. And I guess that's this movie's attempt at humor but I'm not really even chuckling or biting on that at all. They bring Captain Boomerang, and he's in a big canvas bag. They say he's 12 pounds of shit in a 10-pound sack, and it's like, huh? I guess that's funny. We keep seeing flashes of Scott Eastwood's character, who is a military officer or something. I don't really remember if he says anything in this movie, and I forgot that he was in this, but... I've gathered that Scott Eastwood does some of his best acting when he's not saying or doing anything at all. There is the flattest line reading, potentially of the entire film, where Rick Flagg says, Here comes Slipknot, the man who can climb anything. Wonderful. That's it. That's what he fucking says. I have so fucking many questions about Slipknot, and I don't really think there are any answers to them. And I honestly don't care to get them. But if Slipknot is the man who can climb anything, why do they call him Slipknot? I mean, I guess he probably uses ropes to assist in climbing, but who the fuck knows? I mean, he can climb anything and that's fucking it? Could there be a less creative supervillain talent or gimmick out there, though? Don't answer that. I know that comic books have fleshed out virtually every stupid character and minor ability imaginable. But why did Slipknot make the cut for this movie? Especially to be played by some no-name actor. It would have been cool to get some more popular celebrity to play him. Maybe they couldn't get anybody, though. So Slipknot, as he's getting out of this SUV, punches a woman out, and he says that she had a mouth on her or something... And Harley laughs, and it's good that Harley did that, because I had absolutely no idea that that was supposed to be funny. Flag explains to the prisoners the situation with the bomb and their necks, and how he's in charge of them, and to not push their luck, and blah blah blah. Like, seriously though, Without Me by Eminem. Why would you choose that song of all songs at your disposal? And I'd be willing to bet that with these truly popular song choices it probably took a huge chunk out of the budget and i just you got to make the right choices when that's the situation you can't spend like a hundred million dollars on a bunch of pop songs and pick shitty ones that don't suit the movie i don't really care about these villains gearing up and looking at weapons especially not these weapons apparently one of these characters is actually named incubus and i can't help but ask myself how much I'll let the fear take the wheel and steer. But seriously though, who the fuck is Incubus in this movie? And I googled it, and guess what? It's Enchantress's brother. It was driving me nuts. Waller orders them to go into Midway City to neutralize the threat, and she reminds them not to fuck with her. I googled Midway City because I wanted to know what superhero it was affiliated with. And the DC database gives the background info that says it's the Midway City in Michigan's Upper Peninsula, a.k.a. the UP. I lived in the UP for nearly five years and never once heard of this place. 
Apparently it's the home of the Doom Patrol and Hawkman, but their Midway City must be a fictionalized version, clearly, because I don't think the real Midway City is very large. Anyway, I don't find Amanda Waller to be a very compelling character, and Viola Davis talks about playing her like she was this super deep and layered person. So after all of this talk about what they're going to do, Deadshot says, so that's it, with some kind of suicide squad? Like, that's a term anyone has ever used outside of these comic book anti-heroes ever. Oh right, there's a character called Katana in this, and she's apparently called that because she carries a type of sword that is also called a Katana, which is just another very creative character name. But I'll let good old Rick Flagg tell you about her because it's hilariously dumb how he introduces her. This is what he says. This is Katana. She's got my back. She could cut all of you in half with one sword stroke just like mowing the lawn. I would advise not getting killed by her. Her sword traps the souls of its victims. Yeah, that's it. That's what he says. And honestly, it's not like I don't think Margot Robbie could pull off comedy, but these things that she's given as jokes are truly some of the worst lines I've heard presented as humor ever. We see that Joker is intending to find Harley somehow. Killer Croc throws up on the helicopter, and honestly, no on-screen vomiting has ever been convincing to me at all. Flag and Waller are leading the team to believe that they're going to intervene during an ongoing terrorist attack in Midway City. Deadshot calls Flag on his bullshit, and he seems like he knows something else is really going on. Then Flag calls him a serial killer who takes credit cards. And it's kind of like, yeah, okay, you're changing the subject. That's not really what he's talking about. The helicopter they're riding into the scene kind of crashes, but it's pretty anticlimactic because no one dies and no one thought that this movie was going to be like 55 minutes long. So it wouldn't have made sense to kill all these characters in a helicopter crash. On the ground, Boomerang is talking to Slipknot about how he thinks the whole thing with the bombs in their necks is fake. They talk about fleeing and Slipknot is on board apparently. So they make their move, and Slipknot goes to scale a building. Boomerang throws a boomerang as a means of attack. Flag detonates Slipknot's neck bomb, so he's dead. And let me just say, it's a very unceremonious death. So of course Waller, as well as everyone else, and especially those in the audience, are super broken up to lose a super cool character like Slipknot. Flag asks multiple people, and then lands on Deadshot, asking him if he's next. Deadshot asks if Flag just threatened him, and Flag says yes, and Deadshot points at him for a bit and walks away because this movie is all about brotherhood and camaraderie and things like that. There is an unlikely bond between Deadshot and Harley. I just don't feel like these characters would like or even respect each other even a little bit, but they're planning to make a break for it too. Then Harley is forming an alliance with Boomerang, but she doesn't phrase it by saying, do you want to form an alliance with me? So he can say, absolutely I do, like Jim Helpert does on The Office. Boomerang plots with Diablo to try and get away as well, but Diablo is apprehensive, so they make their way through the city, and finally Scott Eastwood speaks, and that's, I want to say, the only time he talks in this movie. They confirm that there are hostiles ahead, and Waller tells Flag not to try and fight them because they know it won't work. Deadshot goes ahead to check out these monster people, and they look like next-gen putties from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. God, that was a fucking great show. Rest in peace, Jason David Frank. The Green Ranger was the ultimate fucking badass. 
They open fire on the hostiles and they appear to be super killable, but these hostiles are super unpleasant and gross looking. Harley has used a gun and a baseball bat to beat them, and I've got to say that these mutant things have not really lived up to the hype. Harley has to save Flag from them because Flag apparently sucks really bad at what he does. Deadshot is literally just using guns and killing them all, and it seems pretty convenient to me. There's not some secret that they discovered about them, like a weakness or anything like that. Deadshot points out to Flag that he essentially saved the day and didn't cut and run, and Flag doesn't really seem to give a shit at all. Boomerang gives Diablo a bunch of shit for not doing shit, and Diablo says that it's better this way because he's so dangerous. They establish that the things that they killed were once humans, and they show Enchantress again, and I've gotta say, she looks fucking incredible. Especially now, she seems like cleaned up and stuff. I mean, I don't know, I I think she looks wonderful. Flag approaches Deadshot and tries to convince him to keep everyone in line in exchange for essentially all that Deadshot wants, but it's not like they legitimately agree to anything, and it's kind of like... Are you going to go along with this, buddy? Do you really trust this guy? Flag is still acting like he doesn't know as much as he does with the bad guys. There's this flashback sequence with Joker and Harley in a car chase, and the timeline is very unclear here. Dr. Harleen Quinzel can do so much better, and it's not even cool, but she's begging Joker to accept her. Joker says, if you weren't so crazy, I'd think you were insane. Like, gosh, this man is truly a poetic, raving lunatic. No doubt about that. How cool. Back in the present, Harley is talking to Killer Croc, and I've got to say, and I don't want this to sound offensive, but Killer Croc seems like his character was written by an 80-year-old racist white guy who is told to try and not to make the character too degrading. Harley says she's looking for a mind to pry into and mess with, basically. She targets Katana, and I'll be honest, I haven't been given enough to care about Katana. She got one little scene when she was introduced, and that was basically it. And the only characters I do have enough to work with, to care about, I don't really find relatable at all. They come to this building and Harley sneaks up in the elevator by herself. These mutant things they keep fighting are nowhere near threatening enough and they're just easily killed. Like, they keep running into them and they just take them all out and it's not a big deal. Deadshot finally puts on his mask and he's got this cool eye laser sight thing that I really like. It's really not clear what putting on the mask did for him as he doesn't really need anonymity for these bad guys, especially considering he's already fought them maskless. We got a little taste of the score in this gunfight sequence, and I gotta say, it's pretty fucking solid, and I could have used a lot more of it in this movie. Hashtag release the ire cut, am I right? More on that to come. There, There's a big difference in the scoring and soundtrack between the theatrical cut and the David Iyer cut that has never been released. Deadshot antagonizes Diablo into unleashing the Fury and killing a fuck ton of bad guys. Apparently, Will Smith passed on Independence Day Resurgence to do this movie, and I sadly have to say it was probably a good career call, just based on what I've heard about Independence Day Resurgence. There's another flashback with Joker and Harley, and she's about to do a dunk tank dive into a chemical bath like he did when he became Joker, He makes her vow to live and die for him, and it's amazing to me. There are people who really believe that Joker and Harley truly have a relationship to strive for. So anyway, she does the dive, and they make out in the chemical bath, and it's really unpleasant to look at. Back in the present, Harley pulls a gun on Deadshot and asks him if he's ever been in love. He says no, because if you kill people like he does, you don't fall in love. And it's like, yeah, but that's kind of total bullshit, though, dude. 
You don't kill everyone, and you're only killing those you're hired to kill, presumably. Plus, we know you have a daughter, and obviously you don't have to be in love to make a child, but chances are decent you believe in the prospect of love if you at least got that far. Waller talks to Flag about how Enchantress is turning regular people into these grotesque soldiers who can take a headshot and still fight, but that's not really what we've seen so far. These mutant soldier things are not taking that much to kill at all. It seems like when they shoot them in the head that they're dead. Deadshot shows up and interrupts, and Waller just straight up kills everyone in this room for some reason. Deadshot says, and I won't paraphrase this so as to preserve the art, he says, Damn, that is just a mean lady. Deadshot, Flag, and Waller come out and see the gang. The group comes to intimidate Waller, and she threatens to blow them all up. They go to the roof and find the Joker hijacked the helicopter, so they open fire. Joker's computer guy deactivates Harley's neck chip, and she makes a break for it. She seemingly escapes initially, but Waller offers Deadshot to take her out for his freedom and his kid, and he lines up the shot, and he seemingly shoots her, and she looks to be dead, but turns out to be alive. Joker pulls Harley into the helicopter, and this voice that Leto keeps doing is the worst, honestly. I fucking hate it. The relationship dynamic between the two of them is also unlike it was in Batman the Animated Series. Joker was far less affectionate towards Harley in that, and he was at least not consistently affectionate, and I would consider that the original and definitive version of both characters. Batman the Animated Series is also where Harley made her debut. Anyway, Harley falls out of the helicopter and lands safely on a building. The Joker seemingly blows up with the helicopter, and Harley is super bummed. Waller leaves the roof that the rest of the bad guys are on in a helicopter and gets shot down by Incubus. She kind of holds her own with a gun, but ultimately she's confronted by Incubus, and we don't really know her fate. Essentially, the mission is supposed to be over and the deal is nixed, because Waller would have to be there to hold up her end of the bargain. Enchantress has created a giant sky beam and trash circle that I guess is a threat and is a popular choice in superhero movies these days. Waller is the captive of Enchantress now. Enchantress wants to know how to defeat Waller's army, but honestly, if this chick can't figure out how to fucking beat the Suicide Squad, she's not trying hard enough at all. Like, none of these bad guys are essentially unkillable like Superman or anything. Deadshot is essentially fed up to have to keep going. Finally, Flag breaks down and explains what happened with Enchantress and Incubus and how the main conflict of this plot came to be. The bad guys go to a bar and have some drinks, and I guess you could call this the beginning of Act 3, or maybe it's the end of Act 2, I'm not really sure. They all kind of have a conversation about how they almost did it, beating Enchantress. This movie makes it a point to point out that these folks are bad guys a lot. Diablo gets real with Deadshot for a minute and explains his backstory. I guess he was a gangster or something and his wife caught him doing all of these bad things. And they basically got into a fight and he burned the house down and killed her and the kids in this blind rage purely by accident. My god though, Killer Croc is just unacceptably bad in this movie. He doesn't get any better. He doesn't have any redeeming qualities at all. Flag shows up and they talk about how he and the Enchantress, June Moon, are in love, and that's why the creatures always target him. Flag reveals that he had letters from Deadshot's daughter this whole time at this bar, and Deadshot's pretty pissed that he held them back. But the bad guys decide to have a final showdown and try and win the day. So the plan is to, and I'm just guessing at an interpretation, 
they're going to use a flooded tunnel to flush a bomb down to below where the sky beam and trash circles power center is and that's where the enchantress is the suicide squad is tasked with distracting enchantress so the swimmers in the tunnel have time to blow the bomb but they couldn't just only do the thing with the bomb underground and not even approach enchantress and not have to distract her is that what i'm to understand why why did they have to try and distract her if everything's happening underground, it doesn't seem like she'd know about it. So there's still a full half hour left in this damn movie at this point, and I'm kicking myself for watching the extended cut. Nothing about this extended cut has felt any different based on my memory of the theatrical cut, which tells me the extended cut was just a marketing gimmick. Killer Croc, given his aquatic nature, insists that he be the one to go underwater in the tunnel and handle the bomb. Katana is talking to her husband, whose soul is trapped in her sword, and that really doesn't make her more interesting to me at all. The squad makes their approach, and Flag talks to Deadshot about love and how he used to be like Deadshot until he met June. And as they walk up, they see Enchantress, and Deadshot says, That's your old lady, huh? Well, you need to handle this shit. Get up there, smack her on her ass, tell her to knock this shit off. That's an actual line Will Smith said out loud in this movie. Enchantress gets in their heads and makes Deadshot imagine that he killed Batman instead of getting arrested. Harley imagines normal married life with Joker. Diablo sees life with his family, but Diablo knows it's not real and decides the bad guys are his family, and now this feels like a Fast and Furious movie. Deadshot says, Lady... You are evil when approaching Enchantress. There's obviously a big fight. Diablo turns into a giant fire monster wearing a Native American headdress looking thing. And he says, it's on, bitch, I think, in Spanish. I paid for this movie twice. Actually, I paid for this movie three times because I saw it in theaters. And then I bought the theatrical cut and the extended cut. And I don't even really like it. What is the matter with me? They get to the point where they can blow the bomb, and they do, but Enchantress is still alive, even though I think Incubus is dead now. Her sky beam and trash circle are still very much intact. She's blowing up satellites and shit. She's wreaking havoc on the entire world with her powers. Deadshot makes a push to take her out. For being so powerful, Enchantress sure does suck at killing mere mortals. Enchantress tries to offer mercy. Harley plays like she's going for it to get Joker, a.k.a. her puddin' back. And Harley seizes the opportunity while Enchantress is vulnerable and removes her heart because I guess Enchantress went all in on trusting her for no reason. Deadshot has a clean shot to save the day, but Enchantress makes him see his daughter telling him not to, so he hesitates for an absurd period of time in slow motion. He finally takes the shot and causes an explosion inside her skybeam portal thing. Enchantress is still alive, and Flag threatens to destroy her if she doesn't bring June back. But she won't bring her back, so Flag destroys the heart. But of course, they have it be that June still lives and is fine, because this movie didn't take any good chances. Waller shows up and reluctantly thanks the Suicide Squad for saving the day, she gives them 10 years off their sentences, and they can't believe that she has the audacity to think that that's enough. So they start making these requests, and Deadshot wants to see his daughter. Harley wants an espresso machine. Killer Croc wants, and I couldn't make this shit up if I tried. Killer Croc says he wants B.E.T. Boomerang tries to get tough because he's got three back-to-back -back life sentences, but he just immediately bitches out when Waller threatens to kill him. Waller is a shit 
one-dimensional character, in my opinion. For her, it's like this. Task one, be mean. Task two, be rigid. Unless it's the end of the movie, then be flexible. Task three, there is no task three. Deadshot gets to help his daughter with homework under Flag's supervision. Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen plays. Everyone's back in prison, and again, they're letting Harley have this espresso machine that makes intensely hot beverages because she could never use that against anybody. Suddenly, there's an explosion where Harley's cell is, and wouldn't you know it, there's a hail of gunfire, and men in SWAT uniforms are breaking her out, and one of them takes off his mask, and it's the Joker, of course. He survived somehow. He says, let's go home, and that is the initial ending of the film. We get some shitty song playing over the initial credits, but there's a mid-credits scene with Amanda Waller and Bruce Wayne as played by Ben Affleck. Waller is giving Wayne some information. She says that people are asking about what happened in Midway City, and she's going to be royally fucked if anyone finds out what she did with the Suicide Squad. He says she can consider herself under his protection if she delivers on something. She hands him a folder with files on Enchantress, The Flash, and Aquaman. She asks him why he wants it, and he says something about making friends. As he walks away, she says, You look tired. You should stop working nights. Which is a very subtle hint that she knows he's Batman. He says, You should shut it down, or my friends and I will do it for you. Roll credits, this real credits this time, full on. There is no post-credit scene like Marvel movies, just this mid credit scene. So for praise, this movie was pretty well shot. No complaints there. Some of the costumes and makeup were pretty fucking well done, I guess. For criticism, I would say the writing is some of the worst I've ever seen in a major motion picture release. There are too many characters that are one-dimensional in this. Jared Leto's Joker is easily my least favorite portrayal of this character of all time. For trivia, we have the helicopter crash scene was the last to be shot just in case any of the cast members got injured, which would delay filming. Margot Robbie began training six months prior to shooting the film. Her training routine included gymnastics, boxing, weapons training, aerial silk training, and learning to hold her breath underwater for extended periods of time. Margot Robbie revealed at San Diego Comic-Con International 2016 that although the cast members of the squad had extensive rehearsals together, she and Jared Leto did not rehearse prior to filming their scenes. She and director David Iyer felt it added to the unpredictability and madness of Harley Quinn and the Joker. To prepare for his role as Deadshot, Will Smith shaved his head and spent time training with Navy SEALs and Army Rangers, practicing firing a Glock 9mm handgun and an AR-15 rifle. Smith turned out to be a quick learner, particularly with long-distance shots using the AR-15. When perfecting the Joker's laugh, Jared Leto publicly tried different laughs in New York City and Toronto to see which ones would make people the most uncomfortable. Margot Robbie did the majority of her own stunts. Writer and director David Ayers stated that her stunt double spent more time sitting around in the trailers than actually performing stunts because Robbie wanted to do them herself. Margot Robbie kept the live rat that Jared Leto sent her, and she even gave it a name, Rat Rat. She added, if Harley got something from Joker, she'd probably cherish it, she told E! Magazine. Jared Leto got so immersed in playing the Joker that he wouldn't break out of character on set even when he wasn't filming. He even sent his fellow cast members Joker-like presents. 
a live rat to Margot Robbie, and bullets to Smith, a soiled Playboy magazine to Adewale Ekinoye Agibahe, I don't know how to fucking pronounce his name, and a dead hog, anal beads, and used condoms for the whole crew. Scott Eastwood commented that Leto frightened him at times with his behavior, and Smith mentioned that he actually never met the real Leto. Jared Leto chose not to rewatch the performance given by Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight from 2008 because he did not want to copy or lift material from any previous version. Instead, he focused more on the comic book versions of the iconic villain. The Ace Chemicals scene where Joker finishes Harley's transformation was initially longer in the original cut, with Harley jumping into the chemicals and with more bits of dialogue from the Joker. Many of Joker's scenes were omitted from the final cut. Early cuts of the film included more interaction with Captain Boomerang and Harley Quinn, with Harley severely disliking him despite growing affectionate to all the other members of the squad. Waylon Jones, a.k.a. Killer Croc, has only eight lines of dialogue in the movie, totaling 64 words. The Batmobile chase scene with Batman pursuing Harley Quinn and the Joker was originally longer, with more interaction between Joker and Harley. One of the examples presented in all the trailers is the Joker punching the roof of his car. Margot Robbie spent over three hours in the makeup chair to be transformed into Harley Quinn. She had to have her skin painted white, apply 20 temporary tattoos, apply Harley Quinn's wig, and get into costume. David Iyer cast Cara Delevingne before there was a script. He asked her to prepare for her role as Enchantress by stripping naked in the woods, preferably underneath a full moon, and walking in the mud at night. She reportedly did so on the secluded compound of her sister's mansion for some much-needed privacy. This film takes place about seven months after the events of Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. The film had a troubled post-production. Editor John Gilroy left the project in early 2016, leading Charles Roven to recommend Lee Smith to Iyer to take a slightly different approach, but not totally change the tone of the movie with his work. Smith created Iyer's final picture-locked director's cut based on Gilroy's assemblies and remains credited as an editor in this film. This cut ran roughly 143 minutes, contained no additional music outside of Stephen Price's score, and had a linear arrangement of scenes. Man, it has to be better. Like, it has to be. I still don't think it'll be that good, but it has to be better. Okay, so for IMDb nuggets, we have... The guy who played Killer Croc, Adewale Akinoe Agabahe, he did extensive research for the character, reading decades worth of material from the comics with the character. That's fine. He also observed actual crocodiles and researched cannibalism. I'm sure that that really paid off, dude. Yeah, that was definitely worth your time. Okay, so for info and ratings, we have a runtime of 123 minutes, and that's for the theatrical cut. The extended cut is about 10 to 15 minutes longer than that. Budget, $175 million. Opening weekend, $133.7 million. Worldwide gross, $746.8 million. IMDb rating, 5.9. Rotten Tomato Critics Score, 26%. Rotten Tomato Audience Score, 58%. Personal rating, 2 out of 5 stars. Yeah, that's right. I can still watch it, but I don't like it. I really don't. It's not the worst movie I've ever seen. It's just got a lot of fucking bad shit in it that is just 
unacceptable and I can't give it a pass on. All right, everyone. Well, that was our episode for today. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed recording it, not so much actually watching the movie because it wasn't very fun. But obviously, if you have any suggestions or requests, float them my way. Let me know if you want me to do something. But all right, everyone. I hope you have a good rest of your day. Bye now. Brandon at Random Reviews is written, recorded, produced, edited, and engineered by Brandon Griffiths. The theme music is performed by Augusto Diniz and was acquired by way of Fiverr.com.